I love when we finally get to Revelation 19. Don't you guys? I mean, six months we've been considering this time that the Bible speaks of as Jacob's trouble or that seven-year period of time that we call the Great Tribulation. Six months. It's good because we see Jesus in all of it because it is the revelation of him. But we finally get to chapter 19 and he comes back to planet Earth to set things right. And we're looking so forward to that to take place. But before we get into that, I'd like to turn to 1 Peter with you guys. I want to read a few verses in chapter 1. And then, oh boy. It's 2 Peter. There it is. 2 Peter, chapter 1, verses 19. For you guys watching online, hello. Glad you guys are joining us too. Um, I love studying the scriptures. Uh, I think you guys know that about me. But one thing that I do love is the prophetic word of God. Because it's one of those things you study the word. It's all over. Do you guys know that a quarter of your Bible, more than that, is foretelling what's going to happen yet future and only god can do that you can go check out other religious writings in the world they don't have prophecy why because god didn't ordain those books okay they're from the pit of hell to lead people astray from the truth i'm sorry but there can only be one truth and if jesus says he's the way the truth and the life we should test him right and how do we know your God? Well, God challenges all other gods, we're told by the prophet Isaiah. If your God foretell the future, he's like, I'm the only one who can, and that's how you know my word's legit. My fingerprints are all over it. Okay, 66 books. It's all over the place, guys. Um, in the day in which we live right now, the Bible speaks of more than any other time in history. It is exciting to get into the word of God. But I want to see what Peter tells us in regards to the scriptures being prophetic. Look at verse 19. In 2 Peter chapter 1. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed. I love it. Which you do well to heed as light that shines in a dark place. How many guys would say the world's getting a little darker than it has been? All you guys right away. Absolutely. It's getting crazy out there. And the cool thing is if Jesus is the light of the world, do you think people maybe are going to see him that hadn't before? Yeah, light illuminates. Doesn't the word of God tell us that his word, it is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path? And I don't know about you guys, but when it's dark out, I just went camping with the family a few weeks ago, going to the bathroom in the middle of the night, you need a flashlight, okay? <laughs> Otherwise, you're going to be tripping over stuff and maybe not find where you need to get to. <laughs> and that's what the word of God does. It, tell, it is giving us light into the darkness that's all around us, showing us, illuminating to us where we need to go. And that is to the light himself, Jesus Christ, the light of the world. So that's what the prophetic word does. It points us to Jesus, which we will see as we wrap up study this morning in Revelation 19. But I want to go on. It also tells us here that the day, or until the day dawns, in the morning star arises in your hearts that's speaking about jesus christ and before we move on i want to ask every single one of you guys all you guys watching online do you know jesus do you know him has he been born into your heart well what do you mean well the bible says if you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth that jesus is lord you are saved you are born again and that's what the word of god does and it's a shame when we shy away from this because the Apostle Paul told young Timothy, hey, the scriptures are able to make you wise for salvation. That's what the word of God does. Okay, even Christ coming into the world, that was prophetic. According to the scriptures, the Apostle Paul said, he came, he lived, he died, he rose again. According to the scriptures, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That wasn't just something he did 2,000 years ago before the foundations of the world Christ was crucified. Guys, before creation, it was already set in play. He knew that he would have a creation that would rebel against him. And yet he loved us, that he was willing to come and to do what was needed by sacrificing his own life, shedding his own blood for the remission of sins that we could be made right again, forgiven of our wrongs. It is all him. That's the beauty of the gospel. I don't know if you guys know this or not. The gospel has never changed and it's never going to change. We might think of new ways to 
proclaim it, but the message is still the same. We can't change that, guys. And the good news is Jesus is a gift to all mankind. His sacrifice is able to make you right, have a right standing with God if you receive him by faith, that gift by faith. And if you reject it, well, you're damned to hell forever and ever. And we're going to read that at the end of Revelation 19. Um, And I don't get it. It's good news. God loves us. He'll forgive my wrongs, my sin. Ah, forget that. I like my sin. I want to be damned to hell for all time. Well, how do, why do people do that? I don't get it. Anyways, if you got to figure it out, explain it to me. It's good news. It's a beautiful gift. Let's read one more verse here, and then we'll get into chapter 19. Peter says in verse 21, For prophecy never came by the will of man. Okay? None of you guys can will to tell us the future. None of you. Okay? Only God. Check. But what did he do? He used holy men of God. And they spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Aren't you guys glad that God can take imperfect people to do his perfect work? Okay? Because none of us have it all together. We've all fallen short. But he uses us. And this is speaking to the word of God itself. Because heaven and earth will pass away. This is going to remain. You and I may have thoughts and opinions, declarations to make. But only God is right, ultimately. He is always right. And aren't you guys glad that we can't edit this? Okay? God doesn't need an editor. What he says is it. Period. And we are living in a time and an age which the Bible says there will be a lot of false teachers and a lot of people today editing the word of God. We can't do that. This is what God has spoken. This is truth. And this truth will set you and me free, brother and sister. I love the word of God. So God, we are thankful for another opportunity to get into your word, to study it, We would ask, as we read so many chapters earlier about the church needing ears to hear what you would say, what the Spirit would say to the church. We want to be able to discern. We want to rightly divide your word. So I pray for each one of us that you'd uh, just keep us teachable and open, Lord. You never have asked us to disagree with your word. You've only asked us to obey it. And that takes humility. So we're just praying for that grace, Lord, as we humble ourselves before you. We look to you, we're crying out, Father, that you would speak to us, allow your word to stir us up good, Father, for your glory and for the good deeds that you're calling us to. We ask in your name, amen. I'm going to share with you guys a quote by a man by the name of Herodotus Bonar. Uh, He realized that the little things can either make or break the Christian. And I so agree with him. Uh, He said this, A holy life is made up of a multitude of small things. It is the little things of the hour. It's not the great things of the age that fill up the life like that of the apostles, Paul and John. It's little words, not eloquent speeches or sermons. Little deeds, not miracles or battles or great heroic effort of martyrdom that make up a true Christian life. It's the little constant sunbeam, not the lightning. lightning. It's the waters of Siloam that, saw, that softly in their meek mission of refreshment. Um, it's not the waters of rivers, great and many, rushing down in a torrent, noise, and force that are true symbols of a holy life. I totally agree with him. Because hasn't God asked us to be faithful in what? The little things. There may be the great things once in a while, but it's those day-to-day little things that he's asking us to be faithful in. How many of you guys are familiar with the doomsday clock? A few of you guys, okay? Um, It's a symbol that represents the likelihood of this man-made global catastrophe taking place where we all just come to an end um it's been maintained since 1947 which i think is kind of cool because israel what was god doing with his people then he was calling them back to the homeland establishing them as a people after 2000 years and we know god has always used israel as that prophetic you know clock 
Okay. And it's kind of cool. Like, Hey, we're going to have a doomsday clock. now. <laughs> the end's getting close, but they come around their bulletin uh, speaks to this atomic scientific science and security board is what they call it. But they're speaking to nuclear warfare. You know, when are we going to blow each other up? How close are we to that? And there has been that fear. Okay. I remember growing up as a kid, you know, we were scared of uh, Russia. Okay. Then it was China for a while. And then there's been North Korea recently. And it's always, who's going to blow us up? You know, we just live in that reality. But the clock represents an analogy of the threat then of this nuclear warfare. And the clock represents a hypothetical global catastrophe as being midnight. When is it going to strike midnight and we all get blown up? So there's numbers and it's minutes. They've had it for many years, just minutes before midnight. In other words, we're getting pretty close. It was originally set in 1947 with seven minutes to go until nuclear fallout. Um, and it's been backwards and forwards now 24 times since then they moved that clock. Um, the smallest it's gotten up to this year has been... Uh, two minutes back in 1953 and then again in 2018 it got that close and the largest was back 17 minutes and that was back in 1991 and that was because of the uh, strategic arms reduction treaty that took place like hey we're good everyone's gonna chill for a while <laughs> you know um, but if you go to January 23rd of this year they moved it now to seconds 100 seconds away on the doomsday clock. Yeah, they say it's because of the looming threats of nuclear war and climate change. <laughs> so, uh, but maybe the best image for you and I would be an hourglass. How many of you guys have an hourglass at home? We got little bitty ones for the kids, a couple minutes for brushing their teeth, you know, but I think it's really cool because if we flipped over to this next chapter now in Revelation of Revelation 19, it's like the hourglass is getting flipped, okay? Judgment's coming, we're starting over. Um, we're at the end or this phase. So the godless system we've been considering the last couple weeks in regards to that worldly Babylon religious economic system, okay? Babylon is judged. We see God's people, his servants, vindicated we see that he is glorified and now christ will come and he's going to usher in his kingdom and don't we pray that all the time thy kingdom come right we want that so the doomsday clock finally strikes midnight that hourglass finally uh runs out of sand and people finally get to agree with chicken little the sky is falling okay so um my Kids ask all the time, Dad, can you play that song by R.E.M.? It's the end of the world as we know it. DC Talk did a remake of it. Phineas loves DC Talk. But anyways, it is one of those things. Things are coming to an end. How do we know that? Because Jesus told us these are the signs. Okay, This is what's going to be going on in the last days. And we see that all coming together. Now, if you guys recall, we considered Daniel chapter 7 and the lion being defeated. Uh, let's pick it up in Revelation 19 this morning. We see this taking place now. And I want you guys to catch this because we're going to change gears as we go through this chapter together. But right now, this is a heavenly scene taking place. And I love the few glimpses we get in Scripture into what's going on in heaven. Why? Because I'm excited to get there because the little bit we get to see, it's pretty darn cool. So look at verse 1 here. After these things, I heard a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and honor and power belong to our God. For true and righteous are his judgments. Because he has judged the great harlot who corrupted the earth with her fornication. And he has avenged on her the blood of his servants shed by her. And again they said, Alleluia! Her smoke, it rises up forever and ever. And twenty-four elders and four living creatures fell down and worshipped God who sat on the throne saying, Amen! Alleluia! And then a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, 
all you his servants and those who fear him, both small and great. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude and the sound of many waters as the sound of many thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. So guys, Babylon here, represented by Daniel in chapter 7, is that lion, okay? And I love how chapter 19 of Revelation starts for us because it starts with a praise, a, a halal, okay? What am I talking about, a halal? If you guys have studied the Psalms, you know you get to the later Psalms, Psalm 113 to 118 are known as the Hallel Psalms. They're all about praising the Lord. They all start in such a manner. And then from verses or chapter 118 to 136, you have the great Hallels given there. And if you guys are ever struggling or a hard spot, I know the one thing that helps me the most is to begin to worship God. Man, this stinks right now. This is hard. I just need to worship you. And there's a lot of times I find myself turning to those psalms and just reading those or praying those through. I'd encourage you guys to do the same thing. So the Alleluia that we see here in verse 1, if you guys remember back to chapter 18, verse 20, it was a call to rejoice, okay? <laughs> and then the reality of Alleluia. We know the word Hallelujah from scriptures, right? In the Hebrew, that means praise Yah. Okay, praise the Lord. We see that all over. And I think hallelujah is such a cool word because we have languages, I don't know how many tens of thousands that we have upon planet Earth, but everybody has the same word for praise God. Hallelujah. Okay, and I love when we were in Israel just saying hallelujah because a lot of people that were there, tourists, okay, love Jesus. And that's the only word that we could speak to each other. Hallelujah. <laughs> you know? Praise the Lord. So here we have this great multitude in heaven gladly following orders. So this Alleluia, we only find four times in the scriptures, and they're all right here. That's kind of cool. So special attention here. What are we praising God for here? There's three things. Did you guys catch them? Look at verse 1. The first one is salvation. I don't care how bad things might be. We always, as children of God, those who've been saved by the blood of the Lamb, have something to praise Him for. We have our salvation, guys. Life may stink, but it is a vapor, and we have eternity in heaven with the one who loves us so dearly for all time. Man, we can worship Him for our salvation. We don't deserve it. We know what we deserve, but He loves us, guys. How can we not worship him for that? And then verses 2 and 3 talk about his righteous judgments. Aren't you guys glad that he's judge? I mean, we have a supreme court in the land who have some really smart peeps who are judges. They really know their stuff. And you guys know that they can't agree on a lot of stuff? You know? Well, who's right and who's wrong? Well, the thing is, guys, Jesus Christ is always right because he is a good judge. And I can't wait. And we can praise him for that. Your judgments are right. They are true. And then his coming reign. Don't you guys look forward to when he comes and rules and reigns? Okay, I look forward to that. Verse 6. So those are the three things I see here that they are praising him for. You know, well, praise God. You know, we praise him for so many things. I think it's good to praise God. But I think we miss praising him for the things that are real, that are eternal. Okay, yeah, praise God I got a new car. That's temporary. It's going to rust like the old one and fall apart like the old one, you know? Yeah, we should be thankful for those type of things and stuff. Praise God for this awesome meal. Well, guess what? I'm going to be hungry in an hour, you know? I love when we, we worship and we praise the Lord like the scriptures teach us to do. Because these things, what is it doing? It's exalting Jesus, isn't it? That's what it's doing. It's exalting him ultimately. You alone are Savior. You are mighty to save. And you are, you are judge, the judge, the righteous judge. And I am so stoked because you're going to come back. You're going to bring your kingdom. And you are going to rule. And you are going to reign. And you're going to set all this stuff right. It's all about him. Now, this next part is really cool. I think some of you guys are going to dig this. Uh, we see the lamb gets married, okay? And again, we're still in heaven here. This is a heavenly scene happening. 
Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory, verse 7, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. And then he said to me, Write, Blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true sayings of God. So the wedding announcement goes forth in verses 7 and 9 here. And it's the marriage supper of the Lamb. Normally, guys, a wedding is pronounced in the bride's name. Okay, that was their custom. It's still customary today for the most part, um, but not this one. Okay, he will be the center of attention. Do you guys get that? It is the groom, Jesus Christ. All attention to him, not the bride. It's all him. And I think the church, we need to repent to Jesus because we're very good at making church about everything else but him. Oh, he might be our mascot. You know, we have our programs and our agenda. One thing I have been thankful for in light of this virus, it has caused the church to really reevaluate what really matters. What can we do with and without? <laughs> and I'm hoping that all the extra junk that isn't about Christ, Christ-centered, is just taken away because we love our programs. We love our agendas. Look at all that we are doing for Jesus. No, it's to be Jesus. It is all about him. He has center stage. We are here for him. He, we're the bride. <laughs> and I love how this is laid out for you and I here. Okay, The processional will not be playing Here Comes the Bride. Okay, It's going to be Here Comes the Groom. So here he comes to consummate the marriage. So you ask, Pastor, how does a betrothal, a marriage arrangement, how does that all play out in biblical times? <laughs> I am blessed that you guys asked me that this morning because I'm going to share it with you because it is so cool. The groom, he leaves his father's house. Okay? And he goes to the bride's house. That kind of sounds like the incarnation of Jesus Christ. He left heaven, his father. And he was sent where? To the bride. God so loved the world. I'm coming. I'm going to go propose to them. Right? And then there's a price that's negotiated. Sometimes we joke around, hey, you know, how many camels you want for my son to be able to marry your daughter? You know, we're, we're, we, we do that. But they negotiate a price for the bride. And what was the price for Christ to purchase you and I? We're told in scripture it was a great price. The blood of Jesus Christ was shed. You were purchased with all of God. He gave his life for you. That's a great price, guys. And then the betrothal itself. Okay, now betrothed. When does that happen for us then is the bride of Christ? It's that salvation. It's when you said yes to Jesus Christ, when you were born again of the Spirit of God. Yes, I want to enter into a relationship with you. I want to be a part of your family for all time. That's an invitation that he gives to whoever believes they shall be saved. And then they drink from a cup to confirm that covenant. Oh, that reminds me of something, Pastor. I drink from a cup when we do communion. <gasps> Think about that for a moment. Okay, how cool. And aren't we partaking in the Lord's table in a way that we are declaring something? We are declaring him, his life, his death, until he comes back to get us. Isn't that cool? Also, guys, we see that he goes back then to the father's house. And why would a young Jewish man go back home? to prepare a place for him and his wife. And I recall the words of Jesus when he said, I go to prepare a place for you. Why did he leave us? All we know is he said, I go to prepare a place for you. Meanwhile, what is the bride doing? Oh, 
I need a dress. A white one. Beautiful, holy, sanctified. Okay, isn't that what we're doing? Preparing ourselves. So invitations at that point then go out. But when we think of the gospel going out, the invitation for people to come to Christ, do all come? No. There are many that don't respond. So at that point, invitations are out, and then the Father will send the groom when the house is ready. The Father inspects it, and then he says when it's time. Do you guys know that the scriptures tell us that even the Son, Jesus doesn't even know the hour in which he will return. The Father only. And I've struggled with that a little bit because I know Jesus is God. I'm like, how can he not know? He is God, but the Bible says this. And the only thing I keep coming back to is this is the perfect picture of this betrothal process. Okay? I see it all over. It's just so cool. You can't make this stuff up. You guys know I'm not trying to make something fit. It's just working. Okay? So um, we as the bride then, if only the father knows when he's going to send the son, the groom, okay, the groom may come when we don't expect, but we should be expecting because it could be at any time. Are we told that in the twinkling of an eye? We don't know, but we need to be ready because he could come at any time for us guys. And the groom will arrive with his groom and with a shout, we're told. And aren't we told at the rapture, well, we're going to hear a great shout, right? The trump of God. Um, and then he takes his bride to his father's house. And that's a beautiful picture of the rapture, right? And I will return again, and I will receive you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. That's the rapture, guys. And that could be any day. And then we enter the bridal chamber. The consummation of marriage for seven days is what the Jewish people would do. We are taken where? To the marriage supper of the Lamb. And how long is that? Seven years. Wow. You can't make this stuff up, guys. This is so cool. And then there's a special blessing. Do you see that in verse 9? Okay, blessed. Okay. Um, the special blessing is pronounced upon all of those who are called to the meal. Man, we are most blessed, guys. Now I want to consider the, or the bride's dress with you guys. Look at verse 8 again. This really intrigued me. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Wow. Again, we see a beautiful balance here of man's responsibility and the sovereignty of God in one verse. Okay, men's responsibility here has made herself ready. You guys know that we have a part. Okay, we have to do our part. But we also see God's sovereignty. To her it was granted. Okay, and they're working together. It's beautiful. And was God desire of the bride? Well, her spots and her wrinkles, her blemishes, they're taken away, right? We read from Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 25 that husbands love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present her a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. And that's what God's doing on us. He's sanctifying us. And he's faithful to complete that work that he has begun in us, guys. And that's why we're called as the church to be set apart for him. So her wedding gown is her righteous acts or deeds. Do you guys see that here? So it seems that we get a white garment at salvation, which is from God, but then we make another dress on top of it. Okay, for salvation, and then the second would be sanctification taking place. So every good work is like another stitch making this dress beautiful. I love Ephesians 2.10. Some of you guys are familiar with it, that we are his poema, 
his poem, his workmanship. We are created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works that he has prepared beforehand for you and I. What are you saved unto, saint? What has God saved us for? It's good works. What does that look like? I don't know. I think it's a little different for you and I. I think generally speaking, we get to love the Lord and we get to be on mission with Jesus sharing the gospel with the world. And I think as we just do those things, good works naturally happen. Callings are made clear in our lives. It's like, oh, this is what you're asking me to do. And it comes from a place of loving God. Because when we're loving him, we're going to love others. Guys, and without love, there's nothing. Well, what do I got to do? Love. What am I called to do? I don't know. But it'll work out, and you'll figure it out. And I'm sure it's going to involve love. <laughs> you know? So remember, proper attire is always expected during wedding ceremonies. I mean, the Browns over here just got married. What would you guys have thought if I just showed up in my comfy pants and a t-shirt? They're like, we love you, Pastor. All good. <laughs> but I think about, you guys remember in Matthew 22, the king that was a little undone that people didn't show up in their right attire. The first 14 verses, you guys can go read it on your own there. I mean, you need to show up in proper attire. So it'd be like us showing up, you know, for a wedding ceremony with our yoga pants on or comfy pants on. Um, and I've done a few weddings now, um, and it's always fun to see how a bride will arrive in preparation for the wedding day. And I've seen them arrive in three different ways. I love the sisters that show up. They're all ready to go. Hair's up, makeup's on, beautiful dress. Let's get it done! You know, they're just ready to go. And then there's those that come partially dressed. You know, maybe the hair is already done, but they don't have their dress on or their shoes on yet. They got their sneakers on, comfy clothes. And then, you know, I've been at weddings where they just come walking in the door with a big old bag. Everything is in there. They still have to get ready. And it's a three hour ordeal getting ready before the wedding. But the point is, it doesn't matter how we arrive at the wedding. Okay. It's, are we ready to go when it's go time? Okay. Are we ready? <laughs> and I think that's the point here. We need to be ready because we might be at different points. But when Christ comes, are we ready? So adorn yourself with good works, we're told. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12, I want to read this to you. It tells us to have our conduct honorable among Gentiles or on believers that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. Wow. They only have good things to say about you. I'm not being political, but I like the example of Mike Pence. Okay, Saturday Night Live, we were talking about this the other day. They were poked fun at him because they had nothing bad to say about the guy. He's just super nice. We have no dirt on him. He's just a good dude. I want the world to poke at us in the same way, that they have nothing bad to say. The only way they can pick on us is we're just super nice. Man, they just love me despite me. Yeah, you know where we learn that from? From our God. He loves you despite you. He wants you to be his, to be a part of his family for all time. Man, let that be said of us. And then later in Peter, 1 Peter 5, 5, says that we should be clothed with humility. And I think that's how it happens, guys. Because pride's ugly. If we are told, instructed in the word of God to be clothed in humility, how does that look? Well, aren't we trying to follow Jesus? Aren't we? believers disciples followers of him well how does he look well i read in the scriptures that he humbled him god humbled himself and became a servant to all and we're exhorted to follow in that same example to do the same thing but you want me to die to myself you want me to pick up a cross and follow you but i have all this rights it's about me and my kingdom no. Follow Christ's example. Humil 
I read scriptures, if my people would humble themselves and pray, wouldn't it have been beautiful in the last you know, eight months of craziness in 2020 if we saw the church actually get on her knees and pray? Because I've seen throughout church history as I study it, when people prayed, there was revivals that took place. But I don't see people coming together on prayer meetings. It's fun. We can gather on church. But when we have men's prayer, women's prayer, prayer in between services, there's not a lot of people that come. If my people will humble themselves and pray, and I think true humility always leads to prayer. Because what is prayer? It's crying out to God, isn't it? I need you. I need help. We're blowing it. I'm failing. It's a mess. What am I to do? Help God. That's humility. And that's a beautiful thing. Because we can come to God as we are in time of need. And he's got this abundance of grace for you and I. It's beautiful. So look at verse 10. I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, see that you do not do that. I'm a fellow servant. Stop worshiping me. Okay? And of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. Okay? You worship God. Worship God. Okay? Is there an exclamation point in your Bibles? Yeah, it's not in the original, you know, Greek because they didn't have it. But the translators got it right. Worship God! <laughs> okay? That's the point here. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So I want to look at the response of one human here, John. Okay? He's the revelator. He's the one receiving all of this. He gets a glimpse, just a little glimpse of what's going on in heaven with this wedding feast. And what's his reaction? He's falling on his face, right? Face plant, okay? And how incredible this wedding must be. We've been to some pretty cool weddings over the years, okay? That's something we kind of get excited about. Like, oh, a wedding, those are so much fun. Food and dancing, yay! Guys, it's not even can compare to the wedding feast of the Lamb. This is gonna be, we're, we're gonna be like John. We're gonna be on our faces, okay? But there was a second face plant here, and oops, he was at the wrong feet, wasn't he? Okay, we gotta be careful to what we bow down to, okay? Did you see that catch? Did you see that run? That's amazing! I'm gonna jump out of my seat and scream and yell and high five everybody! Whoop! do compared to God and what it's going to be like to be with him guys we can't worship non-deity that is a big no-no we saw people in the scriptures fall down to angels and every time don't do that okay you worship God you don't bow down and worship a man that's a no-no I'm just a fellow servant don't bow down I really like bowing down to these guys who wear tights and throw pigskin around. No, the Green Bay Packers are just a team. Enjoy watching sports. That's fine. Don't worship it. Big difference. We only worship God. Now, there's another proof we know Jesus is God because he received worship. Did you guys ever catch that in Scripture? Some people struggle with the deity of Jesus. Is he really God? Well, he said he was, and he proved it over and over and over again, and he received worship from people, right? The Magi, baby Jesus. Man, even as a child, he received worship. We know of the leper, the ruler, the disciples in the boat from a woman at his resurrection, the disciples at the resurrection from blind man. I mean, he received worship. And we're told here, and you guys know I love this verse because I quote it a lot, but it says that the testimony of Jesus. We all have testimonies, and our testimonies are Jesus, okay? Because without him, we don't have a testimony. So what is Jesus' testimony then? Well, it's the study of prophecy. And when we study the prophecies in the scriptures, what do they do? They point us to Jesus. That's what prophecy is for, guys. Okay? A lot of times I listen to brothers and sisters who have prophetic ministries and they look at different world rulers or empires or uh, 
I don't know, things that are trending and how this is going to be the Antichrist. The Bible never tells us anywhere to be looking for the Antichrist, does it? No. It tells us to be looking for who? For Jesus Christ. And that's what prophecy does when we consider future things. Even the last couple weeks, okay, I have a hard time dealing with Babylon, religious Babylon, economic Babylon, the worldly system. I remember the last time we went through Revelation, I actually had one of our other pastors teach chapter 18 just because I didn't want to deal with it, okay? I thoroughly enjoyed going through it last week because as we consider the worldly prophecies, like, hey, this is going to happen, okay? The world is going to have influence. We're going to have a bunch of people that aren't looking to Jesus, and they're going to buy into all these lies, okay? Self-indulgent, false religion. What do those prophecies do for you and I? It makes us look to Jesus, doesn't it? That's the point of prophecy. And that's why it's beautiful. In the Bible, I mean, if more than a quarter of this book is prophecy, and the volume of the book is about Jesus, guess what those prophecies are about, guys? It's about Jesus. So some people think prophecy is an open window on the future. No. It's the spirit and the essence of prophecy is to bear witness to Jesus. That's the point. How many hundreds of scriptures do we have, prophecies in the Bible that spoke to Jesus' first coming? And then we have eight times that amount concerning his second coming. All these things are playing out. Yeah, empires will rise and they will fall, but it's all pointing to the ultimate empire. It is the kingdom of God. That's what we are awaiting for. Man can do the best in their own power, but God's going to do his thing his way. And I love it. Jesus came while the Romans were in power. They took over the known world. Jesus could have risen as king and said, hey, I'm going to use this empire to make my thing done on earth. But he said, no, I'm doing it my way. I'm going to call you 12 guys. I'm going to disciple you, and you're going to go turn this world upside down. And here we are 2,000 years later, reading a book by one of those disciples. Really? That's God's way, right? And he is doing his thing his way, and he's told us these things beforehand that our hearts aren't troubled. Why? Because as believers, guys, we shouldn't be troubled. I'm going to give you a peace, not as the world gives, but as I give. And I'm going to foretell you these things that you can have this peace. Do you guys know that? Because we as believers, the world may be tripping right now. We have a hope that is real, that is sure. These, these things aren't taking us by surprise. Man, two hurricanes coming in this week to Florida. Man, the Middle East, 150 families displayed. I got a pastor friend there in Rapid Cities. Gone, their church, the entire roof, gone. Okay, all these fires, you know, all this stuff that's going on, like right now, and we're in the middle of a pandemic. Really? doesn't surprise us does it that's because we know where our hope lies it's in him we have a sure foundation guys we are standing upon the rock jesus christ and we're not going to be moved why a part of it is because we have bible prophecy we have the word of god and we see these things it's exciting to live right now we're seeing these things unfold right before our eyes and it's fun. But the point is, the testimony of Jesus, okay, is the spirit of prophecy. It brings us to Jesus. It helps us to bear witness to Jesus. And that's why I have a hard time with some prophetic ministries out there because they're talking about everything but Jesus, okay? And I'm like, man, if you are a prophetic teacher, you're going to get your people's eyes on Jesus. That's what the Word of God does. So, we don't focus on future events, but on the one whom will bring it to pass. Our eyes are on him. Now, we're going to change gears. What's going on on planet Earth now? Look at verse 11. Now I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it was called Faithful and True. Aren't you guys glad those are referring to Jesus? Man, he is faithful, even when we're faithless. Man, and he is truth. Man, he is true and righteous. He judges and makes war. Do you guys know when he makes war that it's actually just and fair? People are. Have you been following with me through the book of Revelation? 
Have we seen, even though all this wrath of God is being poured out, hasn't he been patient and gracious in the seven years? He keeps calling people to repent. He keeps sending heralds of the gospel, you witnesses, you angels, you martyrs who were being killed for the faith. This wonderful witness to the world and everybody keeps rejecting Jesus. And all the seals are open and all the bulls and the trumpets unleashed and he gives them all this time to repent and they don't. And he makes war and it is just, it is fair. Verse 12, it tells us that his eyes are like a flame of fire. Isn't that cool to think about? And on his head were crowns, many crowns, and he had the name written that no one knew except himself. And he was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name was called the Word of God, the Logos, right? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus, the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, and with it he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God. And he has on a robe, on his robe and on his thigh, a name that is written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Wow. So back to verse 11. Do you guys remember when Jesus said that my food is to do the will of God who sent me and to finish his work? Jesus is finishing his work. So, <laughs> we're looking to Jesus. Look, they're up in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. No! It's Jesus coming on a white horse. That's what we should be looking for, guys. I'm so excited for this day to happen. So, heaven's open, and the lamb is on a horse. This is a weird picture, but Jesus is going to come back conquering. Okay, so we have the marriage supper of the lamb here. Um, the Supper of the Lamb, now it's the return of the Lamb. So if we contrast this between Jesus' first coming, he came riding into Jerusalem on a what? A donkey, right? Lowly. But he comes back here riding on a white stallion, a white horse. Man, I'm coming to make war to kick some butt. So... First time he slipped into the world as a baby, but the next time he comes, guys, he's going to be a mighty warrior. Um, Julius Caesar, okay, he defeated uh, King uh, Francis of Pontius, Asia Minor. And when that happened, he said, I came, I saw, I conquered, right? And then 1,700 years later, we have King John III Sabowski drove out Ottoman invaders there in Central Europe, um, in Vienna, and he said to the Pope then, Pope Innocent the Eleventh, I came, I saw, God conquered. But when Jesus returns, guys, we're going to see the Lord. He will come. All will see, and God will conquer. That's pretty exciting. In their eyes, we're told in verse 12, okay? Man, penetrating quality of judgment. Okay, his eyes like a flame of fire. You know? That's, yeah. And then his robe dipped in blood. Dipped? Whose blood, pastor? You can jot down Isaiah 63, verses 1 to 4. Okay? It's not his own blood. It's the blood of his enemy. And then we see armies in heaven in verse 14. Okay? Saints because they have the same clothing back that we saw in verse 8. So saddle up, partner. You and I are going to get to ride some horses with Jesus. It's going to be awesome. I think about that sometimes. <laughs> I think I've shared that with you guys. When I was a kid, I actually prayed that I wouldn't be raptured, that I'd get to stay and fight for Jesus during this time, because I grew up in a uh, church that loved to study Revelation. <laughs> um, I don't pray that way anymore. I want to get out of here so bad. Lord, come get me now. Um, but I've been fascinated when we return with Christ because we're, we're going to have a role. Do you guys know that? We are with him. And during the millennial kingdom, which we're going to start studying next week, that thousand-year reign um, that we see Christ 
ruling and reigning on planet Earth. We're going to study through that. Uh, we come back with him, and we're actually going to be here during Armageddon uh, when blood is shed, when the enemies are destroyed. And the crazy thing is, guys, we're going to be on horses too, but we don't actually fight. We just get to watch the show. Jesus is going to do it all, and we're just there, and we're just going to be in awe, just like, wow, I know I studied it. I know we've read it. We knew this was going to happen, but no way. These people who've hated God, who've persecuted the saints, who've rebelled, they're getting what they deserve. And part of our heart breaks because we don't want to see that on anybody, but we know that God is worthy. Do you guys understand that? Does your heart break that you live amongst the people that rebel against God consistently? I just preached Daniel 9 this last week. I'd encourage you guys to go listen to that. But I can totally, my heart resonates with Daniel when he cried on behalf of the people of his country. We have sinned against you. We have rebelled. Guys, we are a wicked people. God deserves so much more. He does. And I think when we're there and we see all this going down, I think our heart's going to be more on that side of things. Man, you are worthy. This is totally right. Because you are right. So, I'm glad we live in this time, this dispensation of grace. We get to share <laughs> with people. We read in verses 15 and 16 that a sword comes out of his mouth. Okay, we've seen that before in Scripture. He's going to strike the nations. He's going to rule with a rod of iron. He himself is going to tread the winepress, the wrath of Almighty God itself there. And on his robe he has this name written, and on his thigh, King of Kings. Okay? I mean, we want a good king, don't we? we got to vote this way! Because if we have the right king, everything's going to be good. No. <laughs> we need the king of kings. I actually went online to look for a sign that said Jesus 2020. They want me to buy 10 of them. I just want one for my yard. <laughs> but to get them, i got to buy 10. So if any of you guys are interested in buying one, I'd love to get some. But anyways, that's the hope we have as Christians. Our hope is in a king of kings. We're not just looking for one or maybe somebody no he's the king of all kings that ever were or ever will be and he is the lord of lords and this makes me think of what we were exhorted uh, about in second thessalonians chapter 1 verses 7 to 10 it says and i give you who are troubled rest when the lord jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels you guys look forward to that day I want that rest. In flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. And when he comes in that day to be glorified in his saints and to be admired all those who believe because of our testimony among you was believed. I look forward to that. Now let's look at our last earthly scene here in Revelation 19. Pick it up in verse 17 here. And I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the birds that fly in the midst of heaven, come and gather together for the supper of the great God, that you may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of captains and the flesh of mighty men and the flesh of horses and those who sit on them and the flesh of all people, free and slave, both small and great. And I saw the beast, the kings of the earth, their armies gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. And when the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet who worked signs in his presence, by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped the image. These two, they're cast alive into the lake of fire burning with brimstone. And the rest were killed with the sword which proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on the horse. All the birds were filled with fresh or with their flesh. So this is the end, guys. Some of us, what is Armageddon? This is Armageddon. It's when Jesus comes and makes war there in the Valley of Megiddo. Some of you guys were there with me not too long ago in Israel. 
And we know in this valley, the blood from this war is going to be so thick. It's going to go up to a horse's bridle. So the calling of the birds we see in verse 17 here to come and eat the flesh of the kings and those who were killed. Okay, I kind of, how many of you guys grew up watching Tarzan? Wasn't that cool? I could just call the wild animals to come. Yeah, that's what's going to happen. God's going to call the birds. Come, eat. And then there's a big difference here, guys, when we consider the marriage supper of the Lamb and the supper of the great God. We're told in verse 19, they resist God to the bitter end. Hasn't God been gracious through the book of Revelation here? Giving people opportunity to repent. Okay, but finally, it's come to an end here. In verse 20, uh, these two are caught and they're cast into the lot or into the pit alive. I know some people uh, believe in a final death. That's it. There is no eternity in hell. They just cease to exist. That's something that's being taught today in some churches. That's bad theology. Okay. Hell is a very real thing. Jesus warned of it. He talked more about hell than he did about heaven. Okay. It's a place that is very real and he doesn't want anybody to go there. But there are people choosing to go there. Um, but these two are still there a thousand years later. Okay, they didn't cease to exist. Later, they're still being tormented. Jump over just a chapter to chapter 20, verse 10. It says, The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are, and they will be tormented day and night just for a little while, and then they'll cease to exist. Does it say that? It says forever and ever. Okay? Sin is a serious thing. Rebellion to God is a serious thing. He invites all into his kingdom to be a part of his family because he loves us. But do we respond to that invitation? That's on us, guys. What are you going to do with Jesus Christ? And then verse 21, guys, what a great slaughter that all the birds of the earth are needed to clean it up. Crazy to think about But I want to remind you guys, a holy life, it's made up of a multitude of small things. It is the little things of the hour. It's not the great things of the age. So let's stand together and we'll close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we are thankful. We're thankful that you are right and that you are good and just and fair. Even though things are getting darker, this world seemingly is becoming um, just more rebellious against you, that we're willing to do and to believe anything uh, just to do away with you. We are so sorry for that. We ask that you would forgive us. We ask, God, that you would come and draw people to yourself, that we would turn to you, and you would heal our land. You'd help us to do what you've called us to do, and that's to, to believe, to obey, to love uh, you, to love others. Help us to do that. We thank you, Lord, that you've asked us to be faithful in small things. I pray that you give us the grace and the wisdom to know how to do that well, in a way that honors you and glorifies you, in ways that... None, especially the unbelieving world, would not be able to speak any evil of us, Lord. Not because of how great we are or what we can do, but because of who you are. Lord, and the things that you may be leading us into, we just want to follow and we know, Lord, that will be, uh, that will be a glorifying thing to you, God. No matter how small or how great it may be, we just want to be about your business We want to do it well. So please, God, give us the wisdom and the clarity to know how that looks and what you may be asking of us even this day. No matter how small, just help us to be faithful. We so look forward. We thank you, God, that you've shared these things with us. Our hearts don't need to be troubled. God, we know that you hold the future in your hands. We see it all coming together just like you said it would happen. Uh, It is amazing, Father. And we know that there's still hope because there's always, always that opportunity, Father, to turn to you. And we pray that you 
uh, just would be drawing many to yourself and just using us to proclaim the gospel clearly and boldly to this generation. They need to hear and they need hope. So we're so thankful for the grace that has found us. Thank you so much for this time with my brothers and sisters this morning. We just pray that you bless each and every one of these guys with your peace. I ask in your name. Amen. Amen. Love you guys. Youth group tonight, 530 to 730. Uh, the youth group is going to start going through an entire year with the Apostle John. It's going to be pretty cool. Also, men's retreat. Sign up online. We got information there at come to freedom.com. God bless you guys.